If you missed the first few weeks of the Come Alive series, we're in the book of Colossians. I want you to go online, and, and, and I did that because I missed last Sunday, and I, and I listened to Pastor's sermon. And uh, if, you have not, if you missed any of those, please go online to our website and, and either download that or listen to it it's, and, uh, and get the full flavor of what, what God is doing here in our midst. But uh, today, you know, that and, and our online, the, the tools that we have, the website, all of that stuff, they're simply tools to help us grow in our relationship. That's our heart, to help you grow in your relationship with God. And uh, hopefully you'll take advantage of that and, and discover just how, how awesome he is and the plans that he has for your life. But let's go right to the word. Today we're uh, in Colossians chapter 3. It's on the screen for you, verse 1 to about 14. Let's read it together. Ready? Go. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ... Set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you, Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still part of this world, but now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slaver-free, Christ is all that matters and he lives in all of us. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience make allowances for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you remember the Lord forgave you so you must forgive others above all clothe yourself with love which binds us all together in perfect harmony and let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts and always be thankful thank you In the first two chapters of Colossians, the Apostle Paul establishes establishes the doctrinal foundation of the supremacy of Jesus Christ. It's very important that you catch this. Paul was living in a culture, or the church of Colossae was in a culture that was seeped with all kinds of religious nonsense. And Paul is just trying to clear the air. He's trying to to define for them, this is the God that we're talking about. And so he, he, he unpacks that for them in the first chapter. And if you read in first in verse in chapter one and two, Paul leaves absolutely no wiggle room, no guessing, no wondering who this Jesus is. He describes him uniquely and succinctly. Paul declares to the Colossians and to us today that Jesus Christ is supreme. And I'm not talking about the petrol you put in your car, but supreme in the sense that there is none greater than supreme in the sense that he holds the highest rank and authority supreme in the sense that he is sovereign. He is the utmost important. He, not Muhammad Ali, is the greatest of all time. He is the ultimate. He was the ultimate fighting champion before UFC showed up. Supreme in the sense that his beauty is unmatched, his creativity unimaginable, the depth of his wisdom unfathomable. He is the transcendent, unparalleled, incomparable, unsurpassed, infinite God. 
Supreme in that he is love. Supreme in that he is the way. Supreme in that he is the life. The truth and the life. Supreme because he is Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. He is Jesus Christ, the crucified King. He is Jesus Christ, the champion of our soul, who stormed the gates of hell, punched the devil in the mouth, ripped the keys of death, hell in the grave from his clutches, and set the captives free. He is Jesus Christ, whose death satisfied the justice of God and provided the only way by which man can be forgiven and restored into right relationship with God. He is Jesus Christ, the conqueror, who conquered death, whom, whom grave could not restrain. He is Jesus Christ, who, whose resurrection was witnessed by several hundred people. He is supreme because he has the name above all names and is the one who will judge the living and the dead. Paul describes the incomparable Jesus in Philippians chapter 2. He says, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The Apostle John describes the Supreme One in the first chapter of his gospel. He says, in the beginning was the word. In the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him and nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. The one who is the true light who gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So the word became human and made his home among us. We, or he, was full of unfailing love, and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. He has revealed God to us. Is it clear? Are you feeling him now? Because that's what Paul is saying. Hey, get this straight. This is the God I'm talking about. I'm not talking about some Christmas uh, character. I'm not talking about some guy that hung around sheep all day, giving free meals. I'm talking about the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. This is what he looks like. Get rid of that nonsensical idea of what you think God is. This is who God is. Get it straight or you're going to be suffering. Along with establishing the foundational truth of Jesus as Savior and Lord, Paul was reminding the Colossian Christians about the freedom that Jesus purchased and secured for them on the cross and the power they had available to them to live a purpose-filled life that honored God and strengthened them and blessed others. And so the first couple of chapters, Paul is kind of laying, that, laying the groundwork out for them. Here's what Colossians says. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the, cha the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. 
I love what Pastor Sam said last week in his sermon. If you haven't heard it, get it, check it out. But he, but he said in this point about tapping into all that God has given us, we do not have to give away to the power of sin in our lives the way we used to be or the way we used to be because the cross gives us power. And that's what I want to talk to you about tonight is what Paul did is he talked about the supremacy of Christ, the freedom of the Christian, and now he's going from the theology into practice. So what does that mean to my life? How, does, how do I work that out? How does the fact that Jesus is who he says he is, how, do I, how does that play out in my life? Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your word that it's rich, it's full of life. And this morning, I just ask for your help as I try to unpack some of these thoughts. Lord, Holy Spirit, have your way in Jesus' name. And everybody in the house said, Amen. Amen. So in essence, Paul is saying, okay, now that we agree on the supreme source of power in life, let's get busy living the life God has intended for each of us to live. And so we pick up in Colossians chapter 3. And my first point is everything has changed. Everything has changed. Colossians 3 verse 1 to 4. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ who is your life is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. The new life with Christ is radically different from the one you, in, you used to indulge in. The new life in Christ is, 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 is the, the scriptures say this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 17. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And when I think about the, what verse, verse 1 through 4 says, first of all, Paul says, be heavenly minded. Be heavenly minded. What does that mean? Three things come to mind when I think about that. Check, when, when Christ comes into our heart, when we ask Jesus to become the Lord of our life, when we f receive his forgiveness, not only do, does, not only does, do our perspectives change, our life changes, but, but everything changes. The, one of the first things that happens is our perspective changes. That we go from earthbound mentality to something much greater. That we go from just building a school that, that will house some great students to building a culture that will have impact not only this community, but the communities around this state and this world. We go from putting just buildings up here to house a few people so we can get around and sing some songs to, to establishing the kingdom of God in a place where his word is revealed, where his life is given, where his life is experienced, and where your life is changed and my life is changed for the better. Your, your perspective changes. It, becomes, it goes from earthly to eternal. Listen to our example Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Listen, our example is Jesus Christ. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates the, and perfects our faith. And it says this in the second part of verse 2, because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Jesus, as he hung up, how do you get joy out of hanging on the cross? How do you get joy by getting bruised and battered and beaten beyond recognition? You get joy because it's not about the momentary light affliction. You get joy because your perspective is the joy set before me, the souls and the lives that are going to be changed for eternity. 
the perspective I'm going to assault hell and pull out all those who are, who are captives and set them free. Jesus had the perspective of eternity in his heart and mind. And for us, that's the challenge. Our perspective needs to change. Secondly, our priorities need to change. And they do change, hopefully. Things that were important to me before I knew Christ are no longer that important to me. Here's what Paul says about his situation in Philippians chapter 3. I once thought these things were valuable. He's talking about his background and his pedigree. I thought all these, these degrees and all of these things were valuable to me, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. You know what God thinks about the stuff that we're into? Garbage. You know what he thinks about our career pursuits sometimes? It's a bunch of garbage. You know what he thinks about the relationships, the wrong relationships that we're pursuing? Garbage. I remember having a conversation with Brooklyn when Kimberly had a couple of miscarriages. I think it was the second one. Uh, I get a phone call from Kimberly. She goes, you've got to talk to Brooklyn. She's really upset about me losing the baby. And I remember I was working in the, in the corporate world at the time, and I told my secretary, hey, I'm, my daughter's going to come. When she shows up, I don't want anybody to, 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 to bother me. And so Brooklyn comes in, and, and I knew the, the she, she just didn't know what was going on with this. How could... God take our baby away. I mean, she just, what happened? And, and I remember praying, I was saying, when Kimberly told me, I said, like I got the answer, right? Thanks for the pressure. So I get the phone call and I'm thinking, I remember praying, I said, oh God, I don't have a clue what to say. I don't have any, I don't, I don't, know, I don't know anything about anything. And now this girl is coming here and we're going to have a conversation about why, her, why did her baby sister die? So Brooklyn comes in and we sit down and we start talking and I'm thinking, she's talking and I'm praying. And she said, Daddy, why, why, did, why did that happen? And I said, Honey, I don't know. I really don't know. And, and we had taken a trip to uh, Alaska. We had taken a, a cruise to Alaska. My father-in-law was gracious enough to, to take us on a cruise. It was, and, we, and we got to see this. I, I, I learned what a fjord was. Everybody, anybody know what a fjord is? It's, it's just this kind of, anyway, huge mountains of ice. I mean, we're talking Empire State Building-sized mountains of ice, and, and there's pristine water all around, and it was just awesome. And as, as Brooklyn and I were talking, I said, honey, I, I don't know, but you know, they're in a, they're in a better place. Um, I said, do you remember when we went to Alaska and we saw the, the, you know, the beautiful scenery? She goes, yeah, Dad, that was so beautiful. I said, honey, do you think heaven's better? She goes, oh, yeah, heaven's better. I said, remember when we saw the, the animals and, and we were on the train and the boat? She goes, yeah. I said, that was beautiful, wasn't it? Yeah. I said, do you think heaven's better? Yeah, I think heaven's better. I said, who made heaven? She goes, God. I said, you think he knows better? Yeah. I said, I think they're in a better place. She goes, yeah. She goes, daddy, it's kind of like, it's kind of like we're at a garbage place, huh? It's like we're at a, we're in a junk pile, huh, Dad? I said, yeah, honey, we're... It's pretty ugly down here compared to heaven. But that's the perspective. That we, we hold on to things that we value so much, and it's just garbage. We hold on to things that we think, man, you know, I've given my life to this, and, and I don't mean to disrespect your efforts and careers and stuff like that. Hear me out. 
I'm saying there are things that, that we consider valuable that God just sees as garbage. So we have different priorities, and then we have a different purpose. My primary purpose is to know God and enjoy him forever. My secondary purpose flows out of that, and it usually involves serving other people. That's just the way God designed it. Here's what, here's what Paul says in Philippians. I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection, but I press on to, the, to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. There is a purpose to this life. He created us on purpose for a purpose. Go figure it out. I can't tell you what it is. It's different for every one of us. It's a journey of discovery. And as you press into God, He'll begin to reveal that to you, whatever that might be. I remember sitting with a gentleman who was very, very successful businessman and, and a man of, of great means. And, and we're talking. He said, you know, Raj, God has given me this ability to make money. And I just want to get it so I can give it to whatever he calls me to. I said, you want to buy lunch? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but I mean, and, and there, are guys that are, there, there are guys and gals that are wired by, like that, that their perspective is different. That it's, it's all about heaven. Their purpose has been changed. And I don't know where you are on your journey. My, my purpose has changed from when I first started following. I thought I was going this way. And he slapped me upside my head, turned me around, and I'm going the other way. And there's different things that God has done in my life and he's doing in your life. The plans and the purposes that, that, that he has for you, they're going to modify, they're going to change, but they're still headed towards heaven. If they're distracting you from heaven, stop. Get off. Do something else. Everything has changed. Everything has changed. Your transformation will continue as you stay close to Jesus and allow him to have the steering wheel of your life. Here's a second thought I have in Paul's letter. Get rid of the garbage. Get rid of the garbage. I kind of touched on it earlier, but here's what Colossians 3, 5 to 9 says. So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still part of this world, but now is the time to get rid of, and the list goes. Get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. When we come to Christ, he gives us a new, new heart. In other words, a new ultimate intention, Finney calls it, the evangelist. Uh, before we knew Christ, we were ultimately, our ultimate intention was about what? Pleasing ourselves. And that manifested itself in many forms. You might have been a great guy, a benevolent guy, a kind guy, but ultimately it was because it was all about you. But now God has changed our heart. Our ultimate intention now has changed from self-centeredness to God, what do you want me to do with my life? God, where are we going today? And here's what Paul is saying. You used to do these not-headed things, these dumb things, when your life was still part of this world, but now it's time to get rid of it. Get rid of the garbage. We come to Christ, we have a new heart, a new start, but we still have to deal with the, with the sinful nature that's hanging around us. But Paul describes it in Galatians. And it's a struggle that's very real for every Christian. It's something that we will contend with until we go to the grave on a daily basis. But the good news is we can win. 
because Jesus has given us the Holy Spirit, the comforter, the counselor to walk with us. He lives inside of us if you're a believer and a follower of Jesus. And that counselor, that governor gives you the ability to say no to sin and yes to righteousness. I love what Pastor Stan says. Does that mean I'm sinless? No, but I can sin less and less. Galatians chapter 5. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful and dumb nature craves. I added dumb to it. The sinful nature wants to do evil and stupid stuff, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free from carrying out your good intentions. And then he lists the list of stuff that the flesh is trying to pull you to do and the list of things that the Spirit of God is, is, enables you and empowers you to do. He said, though, then he says in verse 24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Not just some, but every part of our lives. That's what Paul says. Because why cut yourself short? You have the Spirit of God leading and guiding you. Let him control every part of your life. The relationships, the career, whatever it might be. Thankfully, we have the Holy Spirit that lives in us and guides us in the path of right thinking and right living. The struggle within us is very real. As followers of Jesus and those who've been called to be heavenly minded, we have two worlds that we seemingly contend with on a daily basis or are caught between on a daily basis. One is a world where the morals and ethics of life are dictated and determined by the wisdom of men. One is a world where the morals and ethics of life and living are defined by the wisdom of God. One is a world where sin dominates, where self-centered pursuits and pleasures are normal. One is a world where love rules, where the good of others and the pursuit of, the pursuit of what pleases and honors God is paramount. One is a world where Satan is, is slave master. One is a world where God is Savior and Lord. One is a world filled with confusion, anxiety, rejection, discouragement, and fear. One is a world where clarity, vision, purpose, and hope for the human heart, mind, and soul thrives. Which world do you want to live in? I know I stacked the deck, made it easy for you. Then get out of the one you're in now if it's not the, if it's not the one God intended for you. Start walking by the Spirit of God. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have all that it takes to life and godliness inside of you. Knock it off. Stop being dumb. Yeah, you. That stupid stuff you've been messing with, knock it off, man. Come on. You, are you kidding me right now? You can still mess with that? You're still messing around with that. Are you real? Sorry about that. Got a little carried away. Sin, as I've come to discover in my own life and in others, is self-inflicted. Just is. Separates. Sin separates, love unites. Sin isolates, love makes whole. Sin enslaves, enslaves, love sets free. So get rid of the garbage. Get rid of the garbage. And my third and final point is put on the new. Put on the new. Colossians 3 verse 10 says, put on your new nature and, renew, and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile or Samoan or whatever, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free, 
Christ is all that matters and he lives in all of us if we have asked him to come live inside of us. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, look at how God chose us to be. The knuckleheads he can't put up with, getting tired of putting up. No, the holy people he loves. That's what he's called us to be. Since he's called us to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourself with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord gave you, uh, remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourself with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. Clothe yourself with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. I don't know about you, but that's a tough one for me. The kindness, humility, and, and patience, that's, that's rough for me sometimes. I'd rather be impatient because it's very comfortable to be impatient for me. I'd rather be unkind, and my kids say I'm unkind often. So there's things that God is working in and through us, but it says, clothe yourself with tender-hearted mercy, kindness. Make allowance for each other's faults. Make allowance for each other's faults. Yes, you have some faults. Yes, you do get on people's nerves. Thank God for this scripture because they can forgive you. Make allowance for each other's fault. God has not given us the ministry of fault finding. He has given us the ministry of reconciliation. The ministry of reconciliation. Eleven months after Kimberly and I were married, Brooklyn was born. Seven weeks later, we moved to Honolulu, Hawaii to be college pastors at the University of Hawaii at Manoa. The first few years in Hawaii were some of the most rewarding ministry-wise, but some of the most challenging in our marriage. Let me stop there and say challenging because of me. Uh, I remember at the time uh, when I got called by a friend of mine, he's a traveling evangelist, and God was doing some amazing things at the University of Hawaii, and he calls me up. He said, hey, Raj, you got to come here to Hawaii. I said, why? First of all, I said, dude, I got a job and a wife and a kid on the way. Are you kidding me? Then he said, look, you need to come here. God's doing something. Then he kept calling me and calling me, and finally he call, I, I get fired from my job, and he calls me. I said, dude, it's your fault that I got fired. What do you got? <laughs> he goes, well, there are these, they're these awesome kids that are getting saved at, at the university. You need to come over. I said, now, what makes you think I could do anything over there? He goes, well, you're Polynesian. <laughs> Thank you very much for the high standard in ministry. <laughs> and you can relate to these kids. They're, most of them are athletes. You need to come, man. So I, I get on an airplane, and I go to Hawaii, and I land, and I get off the plane, and I smell the food, and I'm like, I am home. I'm home. <laughs> Happy days are here again. And then I, get, I meet these awesome kids and, 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 and these guys that, that, that today are, are some of my best friends. And so, I mean, it was just amazing. For me, it was like, man, I, it's like I went back home. So I come back, I tell Kimberly, you know, we do, the, we do the Beverly Hills thing. We load up the truck and move to Beverly kind of thing. We just kind of load the bus up, go to the airplane, we get to Hawaii. And so we get there, and I'm, I'm, in, I'm, I'm engaged in ministry. I'm, I'm involved. I go on campus, probably leave the house about 9 o'clock, get on campus. And there's usually a spot for me that I carved out, it's right in the food court area. So I'd sit there, and the guys would just kind of rotate through, you know, they'd Bible study, food, Bible study, food. So they just, for about three or four hours during the day, they'd come by, then I'd go down to the athletic center and work, work with the athletes and stuff like that. So that, I had a great time. Then I'd go home at about 6 o'clock, run in, you know, grab some food, and then boom, out the door up to Makiki where they're going to be playing basketball because I have to minister to the boys. Got to help them out, you know, on their basketball skills. Keep them humble. 
<laughs> so, I'm, so I'm out, and, so, and then I'd come back home just in time to what? Fall asleep. Now, if you're a wife, you're probably sitting there and go, you're just kind of getting kind of nervous and, you know, awkward. Well, I didn't know any better. I mean, I'd been serving God for a little while and newly married, and, and to, to Kimberly's credit, she never busted my chops. She never said, you are not going out there with those knuckleheads. You're going to stay here, whatever. But she just, she would, from time to time, she goes, honey, could you, could you not go out like for the fifth time this week? <laughs> I have to minister. And I'm ashamed to say that I didn't even hear her. I wasn't even paying attention because I was doing ministry. I was doing God's work. And that was kind of like my excuse. And, and uh, it was tough. I'm glad that the scriptures say, make allowances for each other's fault. Because I had a lot of faults. I call those my idiot years. Because they were. I, I just was clueless. I didn't, I didn't notice the pain and the, all the stuff that she was kind of wrestling with as a new mom in a new area and all this stuff. You know, I'm just your typical guy that kind of, you know, build a bridge and get over it. What was the problem? I know there's nobody in here like that. And so I'm just talking about myself. Unfortunately for me, I chose ministry over my wife and my kid. I was insensitive and I was careless. I didn't realize how much she was hurting and how much she needed my attention and my companionship. Now, I'm pretty sure that the Holy Spirit slapped me in my coconut a few times, but I was that hard-headed that I didn't even hear him. Like, boom, oh, next. Those are my idiot years. Thankfully, Kimberly never considered divorcing me, but I'm pretty sure she thought about murder a few times. (laughs) Pretty confident she did. I had to learn how to put on and clothe myself with love in the form of listening and being attentive to my wife and to my kid and their needs. Here's what Colossians says. Since God chose you to be holy people, holy people, holy people, he loves, you must clothe yourself with tenderness, tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowances for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Really? Yes. Really? Yes. Anyone? Yep, that one. The one that you're trying to get, say really about? That one. That, yeah, that, yeah, that lady? That guy? That dad? That mom? That one. Really? Yes. That's, I'm just the Bible. I'm just the guy talking up here telling you what the Bible says. Forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. This year, Kimberly and I celebrate celebrated our 25th anniversary, and I'm happy to report to you that I'm not as much of an idiot as I used to be. Getting better. Uh, Kimberly and I are still best friends, uh, lovers, and each other's cheerleaders, but I'm still a work in progress. If you go by my house, they'll be under construction right in the front yard. Big sign. But the Holy Spirit is alive in me. God is helping me. Kimberly is coaching me up, and the kids are happy to help me out, too. But my heart is this. I, I want for my life and for your life, Ephesians chapter 1, 15 to 20, to be true. Because it's so important. It's what Paul was talking about. Hey, this Jesus thing, it's for real. It's not just a good idea. It's not just a philosophical persuasion. It's not just a smart guy or a good teacher. It is the God of the universe in human flesh. It is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That's who Jesus is. 
and he can, he can set us free and he can strengthen our lives so we can do it right the first time. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. Ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand and understand the confident hope he has given to those he called, his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. I also pray that you will understand the incredible, unfathomable greatness of God's power for us who believe. That's Paul's prayer. Dude, if you would just get a grip on this, if you would just wrap your knucklehead around this, if you just get your pea brain around this just for a second, you'll be blown away. that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and, and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms.